You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So today I call out to your ancestral helping spirits and to mine. I call out to all of those who lived well and died well and bring all that is good and true and beautiful in that legacy into each of our lives. I ask these ancestral helping spirits to have patience with us as we learn to work with them and draw their wisdom into our lives so that we can learn from those who have gone before us. So that we can become people that no longer make the same mistakes again and again and again as if there isn't some other possible reality that we could create. And I ask these ancestors to stand with us strongly as we the living become truly new people who can write a new story for a new world. And as these human ancestors gather around us, let us reach through those humans and our very short period here on earth and reach to those other ancestors, those who are non-human, those who have been here for a long time, longer than humans. We reach out to those energies in their many forms. We call out to those energies to be with us here today as well, to help us, to educate us, to help us understand how to surrender to our own true nature And to be the blessing that human beings are meant to be in the great web of life. And as all of these ancestors and all of their many forms gather around us, old ones, ancient ones, great spirits of the land, elemental energies, all of these energies that can help us understand how to be better humans. As they all gather around us, let us begin our own responsibility to call ourselves in, drawing ourselves from wherever we might be into our heads With the next breath, drawing yourself from your head to your heart. And the next breath from your heart down to your belly. And one more breath, taking yourself down to touch the earth, either in your mind or literally, if you can, as you're listening, to touch the earth and take a moment and give thanks for your life. Thanks for this day and all the wonder that it has in store for you, all the wonder that it has brought you. We give thanks for all that has been on your journey that has brought you to this moment for all that is and all that will be. And we give gratitude for the earth, for the generosity in her dreaming that allows us to change anything as long as we are still breathing. And with that great gift and our mind filled with awe for the wonder of life, let us let the gratitude for the earth flow as we move our energy down through all the layers of the earth with our gratitude following us, preceding us, flowing around us and flowing out into all the layers of the earth. Let us reach down and down and down to the very center of the earth and connect ourselves firmly there in the center. A great long line of energy connecting our own belly to the belly of the earth. And as we tune deeply into the earth and we connect into this energy, let us open our awareness to that which nourishes and sustains. To that energy that is before. 
that potential that rises up into all the great diversity of abundance that allows life to support itself here on earth. So we reach down into that energy that is of darkness and silence, stillness, peace. We reach into that energy and draw it up, drawing it up through all the layers of the earth and into our lives that we might be nourished and sustained, rejuvenated and revitalized by this deep, deep, wise energy of the earth. And as the wisdom of the earth rises up, let us draw into ourselves the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form in a good way. And let us learn from this energy of the earth how to be grounded, how to be in our own body and to be here grounded to the earth, to know where we stand and what we stand for and to create a sense of home for these things that have deep meaning and purpose in our hearts. And let us create a sense of home in a way that opens the door to the other, sets a place at the table and feeds those who are different than we are. Let's not pick the safe and comfortable path, but let us pick the path that will provoke us into becoming the men and the women we are truly meant to be in this life. And let us recognize that we are all deeply and profoundly in this together. And with the energy of the earth, let us understand how to forge those relationships, how to be interconnected within ourselves, to be connected between ourselves and others, to be connected in a good way and healthy relationships with the earth and healthy working relationships with the invisible world. And as we come into this vast understanding of all the interrelatedness of things, let us find ourselves, perhaps for just a moment, in that great web of life. And may we understand that this is the place from which we take our sense of right relationship. And with that idea resonating within us, let us draw the energy of the earth up from our bellies to our hearts, our hearts to our minds, and let us rise up, drawing the energy of the earth with us like a great column of silver light, moving up through the weather, whatever the sky holds for you today, out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos, and rising up and up and up to the highest power of the universe by whatever way you understand this energy, how you conceive of it, how you name it, however it is that you relate to it, relate, connect. See yourself in it and it in you and begin to draw down this energy, drawing into yourself and into your day and into these proceedings, the fundamental energy of blessing. And from this radiant divine energy from above, just receive that blessing with the ease that the leaves draw in the energy of the sun, that the flowers respond and blossom to that light. So we just call that energy from above in, drawing in the energy of protection, of commitment and devotion, the benevolence of the universe, inspiration and illumination and we call in the beneficence of the great oneness of all things and we draw this in into our head into our heart into our belly renewing that deep knowing of what is true here in life and we send that energy all the way down to the center of the earth and we make this connection between heaven and earth and we connect these two energies through our own bodies and allow the big love of these two energies to awaken the spirit of our own heart. And as our heart awakens, let it awaken the crucible of transformation that lives in the human heart. And may we draw up the fiery passions of the belly 
and draw down the crystal clarity of the mind into that crucible of change. And allow these energies to move together in such a way that they create that which you are here to do in this world. That they create that sense, that memory, that knowing, that longing, however it is that you experience it. That they create that third and most sacred thing, which is the sense of why you are here. And may you find in your heart the courage to do something, not just think about it, but to do something, large or small, to bring those gifts that are uniquely yours to bring, to bring those gifts into the world. And for the great, unfathomable amount of spirit help that we have to do that, I am deeply grateful. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things i'd like to give thanks to the people as i do um, each point this point in the show to all the people who have set up recurring payments on their own paypal account which allows them to make monthly donations to why shamanism now this has been a great support in helping me to be reassured that the basic um, costs, monthly costs of the show are covered by the listeners. And so for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, Why Shamanism Now is listener supported. And basically, if the show moves you in any way, if it has value in your life, I ask you to let that sense of movement in your heart to motivate your actions and to do something to help the show to grow. And for those who can, um, may ask you to donate financially because there are costs to keeping the show alive and out there um, in internet land with the archives available now moving from 350 to 400 shows this year. And um, so I'm grateful to those of you that um, have taken upon yourselves to become this sort of stable and constant support. And I'm deeply grateful for it. I'm grateful for any support, any amount, large or small, any currency. We're happy to receive it all. And it all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And, um, you might think that these donations are growing over time, but actually things change. People fall away, others come in, and they stay fairly constant. And they are just enough um, to pay for all of the expenses of this. And so I'm grateful to you for that. And I'm grateful especially also to those of you who use what we talk about here on the show and bring it into your practice bring it into your journey circles bring it into your lives challenge it work with it break it if you can and come up with good questions that help us all on this journey of understanding how do we apply true shamanic skills and practices in our contemporary lives in a way that is effective and actually allows us to address the issues of our own time and as we're in this together i am grateful to all of you who are doing all that you can um, for this mutual experience to happen so thank you very much so we aren't live today but if you do have questions about today's topic please feel free to email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. So to, the topic of today's show is meeting hatred and shamanic practice. I received this question from a listener just the other day for obvious reasons. But anyway, I received a question that uh, said simply, what can people striving to live a shamanic life do 
to slow the rising tide of hatred in America. Beyond the daily practice of working to heal ourselves and address the hatred in ourselves, which I sense is the most immediate and concrete work I can do personally and praying. But what can we do? Is there something more specific to this current resurgence of racism and divisivism, <laughs> division, um, that I would very much like to hear your thoughts on? And to be honest, because it's just a podcast, I think I've kind of sidestepped this issue for a while. And this, this little email was so short and so heartfelt and so um, real. I decided to try uh, to do my best. And so my first thought on hatred is that hatred is a luxury that we do not have. And yet here we are with this rising tide of hatred in America as well as other places in the world. And Adrian asks a good question. And frankly, she answers it pretty well herself, right? By addressing that our own hatred, you know, addressing our own hatred is at the core of any work that we might presume to do that would affect that rising tide, right? So what I'd like to try to explore today is um, what else can we do? And assume that we all understand that we cannot address the hatred in others without addressing it in ourselves, obviously. So before we move on, though, I would like to name the two sneakiest groups of hatred. There's much obvious hatred. Um, But two of the sneakiest groups. So the the mostest sneakiest hatred that slips into our lives is one of those groups is the righteous hatreds. So these are your firm conviction that you are on the right side of a certain um, situation and that in in that righteousness, um, hatred begins to rise up for the, the person, the whatever on the other side. So it's hating Monsanto, hating people who eat meat, hating people who are racist. Hating men who abuse women. Hating anyone who abuses power. And so you get my point. That the hatred and the rising tide of hatred is not just over there. That even within those who consider themselves most progressive and most conscious, we allow hatred to rise for those we feel are challenging and ruining our way of life and that that righteous hatred is a bit like fundamental thinking it doesn't really matter what you're thinking if it's fundamental it's still fundamental thinking and similarly it doesn't matter what side you're on hatred is hatred and we can't afford it so the second sneaky group of hatred we need to be willing to look at, as Adrian suggests already in her answer to her own question, is self-hatred. And it comes in many forms and it's very sneaky. I think we're always, especially those of us that are have been in a transformational you know, life for decades, are always surprised to find more self-hatred at the root of whatever. Nonetheless, this is one of the most sneakiest groups of hatred that we must address. And so, address it. 
<laughs> in your own life as you find it in your own way. And the place that you can most easily notice it is where you have normalized it. Oh, yeah, that's my issue with self-hatred. Oh, there's my self-hatred again. So if you're calling it your self-hatred, you've already made friends with it and you're making a place for it to live in your life and you can hear it in that language. And so the important thing about self-hatred, of course, is recognizing that it is sitting on something much deeper and much more important for you to get at and you're going to have to address it to get it to move over so you can see what is really there. And so this is a quote about this from James Baldwin from The Fire Next Time. I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hates so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with pain. And I, this could be applied pretty much anywhere these days in America, but right now I suggest you apply it to the room that you've made in your life for your own self-hatred. What is the pain that it's really covering? And let's just get at the pain and move on here. Because it's important to remember one thing. And this is the reason I always, in my own practice and in what I teach, I always encourage people to deal with pain directly. Because pain does not kill you. Hatred, harboring hatred, harboring self-hatred can kill you. Pain doesn't kill you. Hatred can. And hatred is a luxury we don't have. So I'd like to share a little bit of a story to try to talk here some more about hatred, hopefully in a useful way. So I'd like to share a little bit of a story that I've shared a whole bunch of times. So I'm not going to share the whole story. It's a tragic love story. (laughs) Um, And it's the story that I've shared as the thing that really set me in my life on a collision course, first with spiritual adulthood and then with shamanism. And this is, of course, the story of my drug addict boyfriend in my early 20s. And, um, but the important thing about that story, to not belittle it and not belittle this man into being a drug addict, is that the truth is he was a really beautiful man in many, many ways. He was also an addict. And the important thing about this man is that when I met him, his addiction was not apparent. He was not acting out in it. And when I met him, I felt deeply in love with him. And for the woman that I was at that time, young though I might have been, I was completely heart and soul in love with this man. And to this day, that person remains in love with this man. I'm just not exactly that person anymore. Nonetheless, at the time, I was deeply and completely in love with this man. He was for me at that time and remained, as long as I was that person, the love of my life. And so in a particularly challenging day, I sat with him. And in the, one of the many things I realized at that time was the simple realization from spirit, really, but I didn't have that understanding yet. It was just kind of like a higher self understanding. That's about the only language I had at the time. So my higher self made it clear to me that he was going down. 
He wasn't going to pull out of this addiction. Whatever he was saying to me at the time was heartfelt and he meant it, but it wasn't going to happen. That he was going down. This addiction was going to take him down. And that because of my love for him, I would go down with him. And I understood the deep and painful and tragic truth in that, that his addiction would take both of us. And what I realized in that is I had one chance, which was to leave and to leave now. And I did. And within the next not very long period of time, I had my entire life packed up in a U-Haul and was leaving and leaving from California to go to New York. Nonetheless, because of my love for him, I had still planned to take him with me. I know, 20, in love, insanity, right? I had still planned, and so I pull up to the house. I've got my entire life in a U-Haul, trailing my little car behind, and um, he's high and not packed. And where that co- the the culmination of the conversation that ensued, heart in the heartbreak of that moment, which was of course the realization I was leaving without him, and that was the end, was was when it came out of my mouth. And now this was really my heart speaking, and not my higher self. It was really honestly my heart, my breaking heart, saying to him, "I will not allow you to teach me to hate you." And that's really the point of this story, the relationship between love and hate. They're not opposites. They are each states. They're like parallel states that, that give us access to our emotions and that when we access our emotions through the heart, we access this truly limitless power in human beings to transform and adapt and do all these amazing things and that the emotions that get expressed when we're connecting with our emotions through the heart are inspiring it's like the email that I got that inspired this show and got me over myself to try my best to do this so the emotions that get expressed when they're moving from the heart inspire other true emotions They allow us to do things in life we don't believe we can do that inspire others to to do it too. I mean, it's, it's amazing the power of the human heart and our emotions. I mean, think back to the Emotional Wisdom Body episodes. A very, very transformational, manifesting, powerful energy that human beings carry. Now, hate closes the heart and grabs its own access then to the emotions. And it closes the heart in a perceived need to protect. And we need to remember that. Anyone who's coming from hate began by some sort of perceived need to protect themselves, to protect, protect their heart, right? Real or imagined, right? Whether the threat is real or imagined, the heart closes. And then the emotions become accessed then and available to whatever's driving the mind. The emotions that get expressed in this state, in the state of hatred, right, are emotionally manipulative. And um, they're not truly inspiring of anything more than emotional manipulation and manipulative emotions. I mean, so, so we're in what, what, what people miss in the passions that arise out of hatred 
is um, that they're being manipulated. And this is an important piece. This relationship between love and hate is also seen in grief, especially when, um, you know, like in a mother whose child has been killed and, 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 and by some accident by another child. And she goes from loving that other child to hating them because they've killed her child. And, 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 and it's in a moment of grief that this flipping back and forth between love and hatred can happen because we're caught up in the emotions and both of them have this connection to our emotional self. One true and honest, the other manipulative. And the important thing to understand about hatred and someone who is acting out of hate is that they are a puppet. They are being manipulated. So when we choose this stance of hate, we make ourselves vulnerable to manipulation. It opens our mind to Watiko thinking. It opens us to that which would manipulate us. We allow ourselves to be used. We are used by the hate, used by the Watiko thinking that leads us to, do, to justify and do evil things. And we might be manipulated by those who would benefit from the unwise actions we will take when we're in this altered state of hate. And so we also can be manipulated in hate by the unresolved energy of the ancestors. So when we choose a stance of hate, we become a puppet. And make no mistake, hate is no more logical or reasonable than love. They are each a kind of altered state and they are each deeply emotional. The difference is that one costs us everything that truly matters. Hatred is a luxury we cannot afford. So this listener asks, right, what do we do in addition to our personal work? I say, okay, so in addition to the personal work, you're working on your own hatred. You recognize you're, you're part of the story, so you've got it. External and internal hatred to work with. So in addition to that, which you can journey about, work with your helping spirits about, see what the source of it is. Just very much like yesterday's show, uh, talk, the last week's show, talking about fear, is that you want to get to the root of it. You want to get to the true source of it in your journeys. But anyway, the point is, I assume you already understand that piece. So what additionally can you do? I see there are small things that we can do, what I call the small things, small and powerful things, and the big and powerful things. So the small, one of the small things you can do, and this is a really big thing actually, but use your privilege. And I mean that. Step out the door and use your privilege. Those of you that blog, use your privilege. Rank privilege and power is constantly changing depending on the environment that you're in, the environment of people that you're in for the most part. It's constantly being defined and redefined based on um, who we're with. And if you don't understand that, go educate yourself. But the point is we always have power. We may feel powerless, but we have power. And in many situations, we have privilege. And I encourage you where you recognize that you have privilege Use your privilege to begin to shift the story. Okay, so for example, um, I was at a party the other night 
And it was a lovely party, beautiful people there. I got cornered and saying no to the conversation and someone launched into a conversation about their relationship with shamanism. And I just, I didn't, um, it was a personal party, so I didn't really want to be at work. So anyway, so she, blah, blah, blah. Story, typical story about how her wonderful connection with indigenous people and what she's learned and connecting to her ancestral helping spirits and all this stuff. And it's a great story and it's really beautiful. And she began to talk about the oppression of the church to on these people, which is an old story. As we all know, it's going on all over the world equally. It's a problem and, and we get it and it's been a problem for a while. And so I'm standing here, a white woman talking to two other white women and she says, you know, what can we do about this? And I say, we use our privilege. What else can we do about it? Use your privilege. And what was so interesting about this, now granted, it wasn't one of my most graceful moments, but what was interesting about it is how much it pissed these two women off. And they looked at me because they don't consider themselves privileged because they're women. But the truth of the matter is, well, you're white. So you've got privilege relative to these indigenous people that you're talking about. So use it. And man, whoo, they got so mad at me, they left the party. <laughs> so, so if you're going to use your privilege, you probably have to be a little more graceful than I was. But the point is, it's not be quite so con- confrontational, but to use your privilege to shift the story. It's just like the story of the two sisters where one they're, – they're both technically African-American but one woman passes entirely as white and they're both shopping at the same grocery store. Um, passing as a white sister passes through, pays for her groceries and moves on. Um, sister who looks quote-unquote African-American just starts getting shit from the cashier. You know, It's not like she doesn't have the money to pay. There's nothing going on here. She's just like her sister, but she's starting to be treated differently. And the sister who passes as a white came around and said, what is going on? And calls the store manager over and you know, makes it a point to deal with the fact that there is absolutely no reason that these other people in line should be treated any differently than she is. No valid reason at all. And she took the time and used her energy and used her privilege to have that conversation, to have it um, not all worked up, but to have it very sanely, but publicly. Use your privilege. Use your privilege in whatever circles you're in, in whatever way can begin to shift the story. And I'm not saying confront the story and create a dangerous situation. I'm saying be subversive. Use your privilege to shift the story. So, for example, I can think of a couple students who are of very, very mixed descent. And so in a group of other than white people, they would have more privilege than I. No one would probably listen to me, but they would listen to them. So in that group, they have a kind of privilege. And if hatred were rising up for perhaps, I mean, reasonably, hatred against racists here in America that um, don't seem to see that there's a problem with the fact that cops are killing black children and black people, um, but our hating them for that isn't changing the fact that they keep doing that. And so these two people in, in that kind of situation would be able to use the privilege they have because they are shamanic practitioners, because they have a certain set of skills and a certain way of looking at things, a kind of privilege with these in this imaginary group that they could begin to shift that hatred story off the soap 
soapbox of hatred because most people's hatred it turns into a soapbox anyway into a conversation that would be about shifting that story into some sort of action that would actually affect things and change things because we're not limited to acting in the physical world because we're shamanic practitioners so my point is use your privilege shift the story trust that small things do matter as each small encounter is one of the sentences that makes up the whole story that is the big story. We are that story and we need to live that new story by how we approach and engage in everyday ordinary conversations in the line at the grocery store, um, you know, talking to our family, talking to our friends, you know, on the subway, you know, whatever it is. And again, the point is not to be confrontational because you're by yourself in these moments, but just become aware of privilege and use it where you can to shift the story, shift the thinking, the way you're helping spirits shift your thinking in journeys. You're going in with your question and you've got your ideas about what it's all about and all the assumptions that you're making and bam, you're helping spirits give you an answer. You're like, whoa, wow, I didn't see it that way. You're that person in the world. We are. We as people that are trained as shamanic practitioners are the helping spirits in the world. Be that person. Use your privilege. Shift the story, even when it's inconvenient. The second small thing is use your choice in the moment okay so you're doing your shamanic practices and you start your day with an open loving heart you go out into your day and you encounter something that moves your heart into fear welcome to life okay learn to discern the telltale signs of your heart moving out of that open loving place into fear so that you can recover your power to choose Right, Because if you don't recognize your heart has moved into a fearful place, you've lost your power to choose because that's a critical moment. Because you can either choose from that fearful place, you can choose courage and then do whatever is necessary for you to return your heart to an open place and then address that original situation that caused the fear. And I mean really do it. I don't mean spiritual bypass. I mean know what is necessary to move back to a place of um, a loving and open heart and then consider how do I address the situation assuming it's a situation you can circle back to I mean not every moment is but anyway you get my point the point is it's a choice you can choose courage open your heart and act from that place or you can choose to stay in fear don't choose courage stay in fear which will ultimately lead you into your own hatred if it if you stay in that place long enough or it will become that fear will become part of the rationalization used to drive you into hatred because that place of hatred remember is being supported by the fact that there was either real or perceived fear and so we as practitioners in the little daily movements of life need to notice what are the things that frighten our hearts that move us into that shut down place and address it move make a choice I'm, I'm assuming you all listening would choose courage open your heart and then discern 
what is necessary to do at that time. And so where do you then find the strength and the guidance for this? Because I realize, though these are small things, they're scary things, right? Is you find this in your ancestral helping spirits. And so as shamanic practitioners, I am here to tell you if all you've got is spirit animals and a couple deities, then what's important for you to recognize is if we want to address the rising tide of hatred in America or whatever country you want to insert in there, if you want to address a rising tide of hatred, you need ancestral helping spirits. So that means you need to learn to cultivate a healthy working relationship with true ancestral helping spirits. And I don't mean just the random Native American that shows up in your journeys and says, I'm your ancestor. And that's great. That's a great helping spirit to have. But I am talking about bloodline ancestors and that you learn to work with them as ancestors. It's a particular group of helping spirits that help us with precisely this type of issue, which is issues human beings are created through their cowardly human actions in the world. And in particular, human actions that are going to ultimately damage all of life. So cultivate healthy working relationships with true ancestral helping spirits, learn to work with them as ancestors, and ask for their help navigating these things that I call the small-scale shamanism, the little things that you do that comprise the way you live, the life way of shamanism. So hatred, it costs too much because it costs everything. It takes a toll on the body, the body of the hater, right? And it takes the toll on the hated and often it takes the entire life of the hated. Hatred destroys families. It destroys the families of haters who are teaching that particular hatred to each generation. And it destroys the families of those who are hated. Hatred destroys communities. And hatred can just as easily be justified um, in why we then destroy the environment and ultimately the climate. Hatred costs us our souls. Hatred is a luxury we cannot afford. People who hate rarely go anywhere when they die. It costs us our souls. People who hate through their life get stuck here. And they become unresolved ancestors who hijack our lives through our own hatred, right? Because hatred makes us a puppet. So then our unresolved ancestors come through, hatred attaches to hatred. And the next thing you know, like mindless puppets, we propagate the unresolved, hate-filled lives of people that have already been here. So, not a happy thought, right? So what are the large-scale shamanic things that we could do? Well, we must become a skilled person and so that we can learn to do true and full ancestral healing, healing of the ancestral lines, and to move these hate-filled ancestors and their unresolved lives out of the field. And that this is not um, great work for empaths. It's not great work for super sensitive people. It is not great work for people that cannot handle the horror of what humanity has done to humanity. 
You've got to be able to hitch up your britches and have a certain kind of stomach for that which we should not be able to stomach. It is not easy work. It is not fun, like retrieving soul parts and having that great reunion and um, reconciliation of the soul. It's hard work. It's mean work. It's dealing with the worst that humanity has to offer. So it's not, it's not the work for everybody. But those who can, those who feel called, those who really truly want to stem the tide of rising hatred here or anywhere, this is the work that we must do. We must heal the ancestral lines. Another thing you can do to do the larger scale shamanic work that needs to happen is become a skilled person who can actually safely and effect, safely conduct ritual in your community that is effective in drawing in spirit to help to create the changes that we need to create in the status quo of our communities. Big scale shamanic things we can do, become a skilled person. And so, you know, what you see in this is the theme that comes out of all the shows. That we need to move our shamanic, our sense of what it means to be a shamanic person in the contemporary world and up our game. That there, for those who can, they need a level of skill that allows us to get beyond whether or not I'm the shaman and whether or not I can do a soul retrieval or a depossession. That we need people who are so skilled in all the whole range, not just of shamanic healing forms, but of living shamanically, that we are the kind of people who can actually stem the tide of rising hatred in America. Right? We need skills to do that. I mean, not that everybody can't go out there and use their privilege to shift the story. I mean, I'm all I'm down for that. But this listener asked, what can we do as shamanic practitioners? Become more skilled so that you are the type of person who can conduct ceremony regularly in your life, in your family, in your community, to draw in spirit's help, to establish a new normal that involves the shared values necessary to live with each other in diversity and viewing it as an asset, inviting the other in, learning and growing together in a, in a, in a shared mutual respect for all life. Become the person who can create and conduct effectively that kind of ceremony. But mostly in terms of the big shamanic work that we can do, and frankly this work in many ways can sort of only be done shamanically, but anyway, we need to heal the ancestral lines. And there are some convolutions in this work that don't get unraveled through family constellation therapy and they don't get unraveled through these practices that are more psychological they are beautiful practices and they certainly help us with the standard unresolved ancestral stuff but a lot of this stuff is not standard anymore a lot of it's pretty messed up and it actually needs the ability to work at different time frames simultaneously different levels of reality simultaneously and all the weirdness that shamanic skills allow us to do, that those are actually necessary. If we're really 
going to stem the tide of the things, the kinds of things that provoke this unbelievable, unthinkable behavior that's going on right now. Their lifetimes of selfish love, of national thinking, of um, institutionalized hatred that need to be reconciled so that energy can be set back in motion. So selfish love is an important thing relative to hatred. So I want to share a story, another story, because all of these stories, you know, really about hatred, if we want to resolve hatred, I mean, there's a million stories right now on the internet about hatred. But if we want to actually address hatred, we need to talk about love. Okay, so here's another story of um, a young man who loves deeply, loves passionately, an enormous force for life. Um, always has, as long as I have known him, has been involved in doing things that promote better humans. So cross the board, good guy. And so this is a story. This is a love story of a good man, right? And he, his highest values are his family, which in many cultures is considered absolutely essential that you, you love and you take care of your bloodline family first. And in that, and to be able to do that, he's very responsible financially and always you know, finds a way, even though many aspects of his life are somewhat crazy, he still finds a way to not be a burden on others and where he can to share financially and help. And another thing about this man is partly what makes him the man that he is, is that probably third on his um, list of his priorities in life is his own spiritual development. And he has made many choices, many choices that affected his home and his, that affected his survival, his home and his income, has made choices to allow himself to cultivate his own spiritual presence, his own soul. So again, good man. But the thing about being contemporary people is most of us can only get to the top three things on our list of priorities in a day. Like those are usually the things that get our attention and get our energy. And anything that's lower than three maybe gets random attention, but frankly, not so much. And so as I began to work with him about why with all of this goodness, he really wasn't living his soul's purpose. I began to see that the main reason he wasn't living his soul's purpose is because it wasn't in his top three priorities. Now, some people think I'm an ass and they may be right, but living my soul's purpose is my driving first priority because I believe that in doing that, I meet all other priorities in the best way I possibly can. So for me, that is number one on my list. And that's what I realized with him is it wasn't even, it it might be in the top six, but we're contemporary people, man, we only get to about one through three. So it wasn't happening. And so as we did this work, what I came to understand in him is that his love for his family was so strong 
and the, the history, his work with his ancestors and caring about the next generation coming in and, and the friends that he had brought in to be sort of extended family and extra aunts and uncles, that this was what he cared about the most in the world. And this seems really noble. But as we dug down into that to find out, well, then where's your soul's purpose? What we realized is that in that fierce, personal, and actually selfish love, everybody else was on the outside. Everybody else and everything else was the other. And it's the first time I really came to understand where nationalist thinking comes from. Because people aren't really nationalists because they hate everybody else. They're nationalists because they love what they are. And they don't like the fact that everybody else is messing up from their perspective. Everybody else who isn't like what they are is messing up what they love. And I understand that. I love the earth and I'm pretty pissed off that I feel like humanity's messing up this thing that I love. So I get it. But when we only... We stay there. We camp out and buy real estate in selfish personal love. We, we stay in this nationalist place where everybody else in, is the other. And actually, we don't love all life. We love only these people. And we only care about these people, about this land, this country, this whatever. And there's a whole – so another way to think about it is – you know, the bankers that trashed the economic system of the world, they didn't do it because they were hateful people. They did it because they love what they love. Selfish love, but they love what they love. They love their people, their kind, their thing. And so the point that I'm making is that this incredibly powerful form of love, which is very young and makes complete sense in children, is a kind of love we're meant to grow out of. Because it is a love that leads directly to hatred, hatred of the other. And the problem with it is everything and everyone else is the other. So the, one of the other things that we can do as shamanic practitioners then is to work with our helping spirits to help us understand where are we define uh where is the love that we think we're feeling so holistically and shamanically and wonderfully actually an expression of very personal selfish love and how do we then grow up into a more mature a more spiritually mature place where we have a greater love a more more cosmic a love that truly is a love now we've learned to love from these first people right these these original people that we loved and that's what i mean by it being appropriate for children but how do we learn from that experience to be the kind of people that are spiritually mature and love truly love all of life as our own which means of course we have to love the haters as our own too but the point of that is to be the kind of people that can affect a rising tide of hatred we can't be stopped in a personal and, frankly, selfish definition of love. We have to be bigger than that. We have to love bigger than that. And I mean every day, all the time, love bigger than that and have the courage to maintain that quality of love, 
We need to be big people with big love in our hearts and recognize that we are here as the living expression of that love because those are the only kinds of people that are going to be able to effectively change this rising tide of hatred. So what do you do as a shamanic practitioner? You must engage in whatever is necessary to awaken your courageous heart so that you can love big and love from that larger place. It's a place that engages the dynamic that creates a real balance, a true balance between self-love that is necessary to be the unique genius you've come here to be and love of all life that brings that expression of yourself out of that selfish place and into this communal place where the ancestors are behind you, pushing you to be the person you were born to be and the descendants are in front of you, pulling those gifts out of you because they need them to be here when they arrive and that we operate in a way that we express our soul's purpose in a way that shows this love of all life. And James Hillman said that the soul can become a reality again only when each of us has the courage to take it as the first reality in our lives, to stand for it, not just believe in it. And this is the thing about hatred, is it consumes the soul. And so so the soul isn't a reality in the lives of people that have taken a position of hatred. It can't be because the heart has been closed. So if we want to be the kind of people that can affect a rising tide of hatred, then we must be the people for whom the soul is a reality. And that only happens, as Hillman says, when each of us has the courage to take it as the first reality in our lives and to stand for it, not just believe in it. And to do that, we have to move out of that personal, selfish, loving place, even though it is a loving place, and grow it, grow it up, make it bigger. And that is the only path to freedom. Hatred is not a path to freedom, ever. Not hatred. Now, I'm not so sure revolution isn't a path to freedom, but hatred is not. Hatred spawns revolutions that create a new version of the same oppression. The revolution that is necessary needs to be a revolution of people that are moving, acting, motivated in that revolution for all of life from that place of love and willing to act willing to make life inconvenient, willing to move into places that are uncomfortable, and willing to do things that everybody else is going to think are weird, right? But to spend time clearing the ancestral lines, doing ritual, doing ceremony in your shamanic work, and then using your privilege, trusting the small acts, engaging in the world as if you trust and believe that it can be a better place every day, all the time because hatred is not a path to freedom it doesn't matter what the rhetoric is it is never a path to freedom because hatred makes our mind a puppet 
and puppets aren't free. They can talk. They can talk a good game. They can even grossly abuse the visionary powers. You know, the power of the visionary abused is to get people all frothed up for a vision and then provide them no way to get there. Right? No support. Right? Just draw that energy and then move on to the next group. Right? It's a very addictive process, actually. But hatred is not a path to freedom. It makes our minds puppet minds. And so the unresolved energy of the ancestors can come through and manipulate our view of reality, which strongly influences our actions and the choices that we make in the world. And we keep repeating the same patterns, only with greater and greater power as um, technological power, greater and greater um, abuse of power, um, because each generation is able to spend well in the, in America at least is able to spend less time growing food more time doing things but if the unresolved energy of the ancestors is driving what you're doing if you're allowing hatred to drive what you're doing then what you're doing is really just new versions of the old thing and it's just ever more toxic so your mind can also become easily in hatred your mind is wide open for Wetiko virus energies to come and manipulate you and move you into continuing to manifest the systems and the institutions that already exist or to be the revolutionary who overturns the system and puts your new oppressor in place. That sense of just continuing to propagate the same patterns again and again politically, in our religious world, um, cultural, social conditioning, um, how we work, how we deal with food, how we deal with pharma- pharmaceuticals, our medical system, all of these systems become manifestations of the same story as that Watiko virus infects our mind and moves us in the same patterns again and again. And the patterns ultimately result in evil. They end up justifying what we would consider evil actions. It all comes out of the hatred that makes your mind a puppet mind. When we're in puppet mind, when we're in hatred, we see things as triggers that aren't. So it creates a lot of false triggers. Everything in such an emotional place and the emotions are right there being manipulated and manipulating. And so everything's a trigger whether it is or not, right? They're all false triggers and we're constantly angry. Um, constantly sure everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket and we need to just shoot all those other people. It's like this this easy to get caught up in false triggers and to not be grounded in your body on the earth with all the other living things. It's a false world in the puppet mind. It's a huge distortion of your capacity to discern. So people are, of course, choosing to do things but it's coming out of this fast place of choice driven by the old patterns and the puppet mind lots of judgment lots of um, repetitious thinking not a whole lot of creativity and innovation going on there and that ultimately when we really surrender to hatred and the puppet mind we become fear mongers we we tend to preach the kind of story in the way we go through the day that lays a foundation of fear to make it easier for other people to close their heart because they perceive the need to protect and go into hatred and become puppet mind. So it's very self-propagating. 
So as shamanic practitioners, what do we do? How do we become the people that can stem the tide? The soul can become a reality again only when each of us has the courage to take it as the first reality in our own lives, to stand for it and not just believe in it. And I say we need to stand for it in the little ways, in the little stories, to use our privilege, to shift the story, to use our capacity to choose and choose wisely in the little moments throughout the whole day and that we stand for it. We stand for the soul and the life force of all things in big actions. We do the big shamanic things as well. And in this way, using our privilege in some way every day, taking the small actions, awakening our courageous heart and loving beyond what is safe and comfortable, become skilled enough to do the big shamanic work because they are our ancestors, all of them. They are our ancestors. It is humanity's ancestors. And hatred is a luxury neither we nor our ancestors have. So I give gratitude to my ancestral helping spirits for without them, I would be certainly not the person that I am today. Thank you to the ancestors for their support for the earth below, the sky above, for the heart that unites us all. For those of you that do want some opportunities to become that next step shamanic person, um, the year of ceremony is um, you can register for this opportunity to do ceremony um, on the full moon for an entire year with 12 different shamanic teachers from different practices. Um, it's offered by Sounds True. It will be a, I'm sure it will be a beautiful package. It begins March 23rd and you can register for that through my website on the homepage. You're welcome to connect through there, lastmasscenter.org. Homepage, scroll down, it's right there. Um, there's a new shamanic summit on the inner warrior beginning um, at the end of March on the 28th and there is also um, a link to register on my homepage the energy clearing class in Portland begins April 22nd to 24th we still have two spots available and you're welcome to register to come learn this clearing again will definitely help you clear the things that make your heart afraid and the Masks of Illusion class, I think at this point, is actually full for this year. However, we are taking a waiting list to see whether we have enough interest to perhaps do a second class in 2016. And you can find that all at lastmasscenter.org. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a great week. <laughs>